0: Hello, and welcome to Emanuel Christian Center's podcast. Join us today as we jump in to our series called Deconstruct, Reconstruct. Join us as we unpack what it means to have authentic faith. Deconstruction is breaking stuff down to the foundation. Reconstruction happens when we know who the true foundation of our life is. Get ready. God is on the move. I want to say welcome to everyone who is joining Emmanuel Online, other manual locations, as we jump into our week three of our series, Deconstruct, Reconstruct. If you haven't been able to hear or watch the first two messages, I want to encourage you to go back and watch those, look at them, listen to them. There's some great wisdom. And as we heard from Pastor Nate, a couple things that have stood out. We, uh, like it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to tear down and there's a time to build up. But too many people get stuck in the time of tearing down, and then they don't build up on the other side of that. And deconstruction is to ask many times legitimate questions, but it doesn't bring hope if all we do is is dissect and tear down, and then we never get to the point in the season where we're actually edifying and building up. Where you know we can uproot, but we also need the plant. Love that Uh, Pastor Nate last week talked about the fact that we're all going to suffer offense in our life. We're always going to have opportunities to be offended, right? Maybe not you, but I'm sure you have a friend uh, that has been offended sometime along their journey, right? What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because that can really rattle. It can shake our faith. it It can create kind of a short circuit in our belief as well but we are called to keep our trust and our hope and our eyes on Jesus. He is the the initiator and the completer, the perfecter of our faith. Love this story Pastor Nate told of someone that was really disappointed by a leader in the church that had made bad choices and had acted in a way that that disqualified them from leadership and it and it impacted their own journey, and they start questioning all kinds of things. And and actually, Pastor Wayne Benson, one of our advisory elders, said to this individual, did you invite that pastor or that evangelist into your heart, or did you invite Jesus into your heart? And uh, sometimes it's important to distinguish between the two, because we know that people are, they're still people, right? Humans are humans, and they will fail you. I'm sorry to disappoint you today if you didn't know this news People will fail you, right? And uh, our trust and our hope needs to be—it needs to be placed in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that we ignore the things happening around us, but it means that we learn how to navigate and how to how to how to walk through moments of suffering, of pain, of injustice. As we've talked about, kind of the uh, personal, very kind of looking at the lens of, of our own personal journey and how to navigate that. Today, we're going to wrestle with some of the macro implications of this, worldwide implications of this. We live in a a fallen world. We live in a world filled with pain, filled with suffering, filled with injustice. What do we do with that? Think of a friend of ours in our connect group that uh, was, you know, as we came to the point of a prayer this past Tuesday, she said, you know, I have family that lives in Ukraine and I have family that lives in Russia and I want to pray for both of them. And, uh, and, and I think of how, how uh, you know, we hear about news, but it can oftentimes seem like it's remote. It can be something that we, we scroll through on our phones or our tablets or we, you know, then change the channel. And then we don't have maybe the implications or the impact that many of our people, many of our church family are from that region, have family in that region, once you know someone that's connected to pain and injustice and war and decisions that are being made like, like are happening today, then it, it really kind of shifts the way we approach it. And, uh, you know, as we, as we wrestle with this, it can almost be overwhelming. It can almost feel like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Or, you know, I, I reread uh, one of the uh, great classic books called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Highly recommend it. He kind of talks us through Uh, just how to understand, how to reconcile the fact that we have a loving God and we still have pain and suffering in the world. If we had our way, if we were God, we would just get rid of pain and suffering. And uh, Actually, that is part of God's plan as we step into eternity. He is bringing about that hope, but today we live between seasons where there's still that that impact of human choices, of selfishness, of injustice, of of fallen values, and it plays out in every circle, in, every, in, in governments, and in, in also in our own society, in our own families, under our own roofs. How do we wrestle with that? And I love a phrase from, from C.S. Lewis. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Jeremiah 12 and Romans 8 speak of the fact that our planet, uh, planet Earth is groaning with childbirthing pains. And uh, I cannot pretend to relate to that. I was in the uh, in the the delivery room for both of my kids, but I didn't do most of the work. I just wanted to clarify that, you know, Uh, I was I witnessed it, but uh, but I didn't do most of the work, you know, and I almost fainted when I had to, uh, you know, cut that umbilical cord. And I was like, oh. You know, uh, so much respect for my wife, right? And uh, the fact that, you know, birthing pains are, are there's, there's hope on the other side of that. There's such a joy, you know, to watch uh, the, the moment that my wife and I went through so much uh, effort and strength and pain, and then how it just, all of it just went away as soon as she held each of our kids in her arms, Nothing else mattered at that point. And that's our hope for eternity. Our world is waiting for that moment when God brings his kingdom, establishes his kingdom forever, where injustice is eradicated, pain and suffering and sickness are taken away. Every tear is wiped. That's our hope. We're not stuck in this in-between moments. We have a hope for a future. But today, we live in a world that suffers birthing pains. What do we do with that? You know, we can we can feel like, okay, it's just too overwhelming. It's too frustrating. I'm too angry about it. Someone needs to do something about it. Think of, you know, a new habit that uh, having my, my folks actually living at home with us has been great. They moved back after 42 years of living and serving in Argentina, and uh, they're living at home with us now. And so we get extra spoiled, and uh, we're, just, we're just blessed. We get along great, you know, and so uh, one of the things that we've done is we uh we my dad, my mom and and myself, we go to the gym every morning, every weekday, and uh, we clock in at six fifty nine and uh the reason is we drop Zoe off at her bus stop and then we go straight there and uh and, and it's been great it's like it, you know first uh, it was like, oh, what is it? Bring your parents to the gym day and uh no, it's bring your son to the gym day right and uh but it's turned into a great just moment you know start our day off that way and uh and what I've noticed is I'm not a big consumer of television, and I don't watch the news much. I read it. I, you know, I've, I follow different accounts. I get a variety of voices, and I kind of get the the snapshot, you know, where I'm not I'm not fed like the 24/7 feed of a news piece this big, but they've got to stretch it into this big to uh, you know keep their jobs, right? And so, uh, but now as we're on the treadmill, I've got all these options of news, and at seven in the morning, I'm like. I'm not ready for this. I'm already exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And then I've got a sitcom over on this side. So I find myself kind of running like this, right? And, uh, and, and there's just so much happening, so much that, that's coming our way. What do we do with it? How do we manage that? And I, I just want to encourage you. None of this is news to God. In fact, he, he's known that humanity fallen and working independent from him is always going to lead to pain and suffering. And I love the fact that God doesn't ignore it. He actually walks us through it. And I want to give you a, a verse that is going to be his prescription for how to see, how to respond to the injustice, the pain and the suffering in the world around us. Ready for it? Micah 6:8. Micah, the minor prophet says, "Oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do what is right, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. We could just finish the, the sermon now. It's your three points, right? We just, it's kind of a mic drop moment. And, uh, and, and God says, hey, this is how you respond to the pain, the injustice, the suffering in the world around you. And you're like, that's great, but how do I do it? When in doubt, follow Jesus. When in doubt, follow Jesus. There's a chapter in the in Scripture, in the Gospels, that I ran across as I was studying and preparing for today. And, I, and, I, and I'm, if I had my way, I would retitle that whole chapter. Uh, Luke 13 would now be titled, Jesus Watches the News. And because uh, he gets this information of different things that are happening around him. We often think he's off, you know, taking a nap in a boat, healing lepers, or praying in a mountain disconnected from the world around him. No, he was very aware of what was happening in his day and his society. But how did he respond? Look at what it says in Luke 13:1. About this time, Jesus was informed. Okay, so someone turn on the TV for him. That Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now that would stir you up if you were, that would just, why? The same Pilate that then was part of his own trial. And this is how he responds. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people in Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Like, whoa, Jesus, you know, settle down. We're just watching the news together. You don't have to, you know, get aggressive with me or anything. But, what he, you know, okay, let's keep on reading. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Notice what he does here. There's information coming his way, there's uh, current events that are coming his way. And what we tend to do is we, we get a snapshot, a soundbite, bite, and we draw conclusions. We're like, oh, they had it coming. They must have done something. I wonder what's behind this. What, what conspiracy is actually playing out with this? And Jesus says, don't draw quick conclusions. Here's what you need to do. If you think, if you're only paying attention out there, you're going to lose sight of what's going on in here. And we can't always control what's going on out here or at a macro level what's going on in the world. We can pray, right? But we are definitely responsible for what's going on in here. And if we live with the attitude of someone should do something and deferred responsibility, and then we never respond, we never do what's right, we never do justice. When we have an opportunity... There's a little bit of a disconnect there. So Jesus, it's a little bit of a wake-up call. Like, you want to watch the news? Let me give you some news. Let's look inside your heart. And uh, he's saying, you need to practice true repentance. You need to walk connected to God. But he doesn't stop there, because then someone flips the channel, and he hears some more news. And it says in Luke 13, 31 and 32, at that time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. So they bring in like a political thing and there's hey you're going to be persecuted politically you need to you need to you know fight for your freedom and independence get away from here and look at how Jesus replied. Go tell that Fox not Fox News he's not you know, making a uh, you know Go tell that Fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will accomplish my purpose. That's Jesus response to the news. Clarity In his perspective and clarity on the mission he's not losing sight of the mission when politic things get tossed at him he's like you know what I am gonna stay on course for the mission that God has given me if God wanted to spare us pain and suffering we would already be in heaven but there is a purpose that we need to fulfill and that's why we are still here church we are light and salt we are reflections of hope in response to suffering and pain. Thank God Jesus didn't elude didn't, uh, or try to get away from pain and suffering. He could have escaped the cross so many different times. But he said, you know what? Through suffering, there's a joy set before me that's much greater. It's the childbirthing pains and the joy on the other side of that. And whatever you're going through, whatever our planet is going through today, there is hope on the other side of that. How many say amen to that? Amen. That is a good moment to clap. Thank you for helping me. Uh, I, you know, I just don't want to leave the two or three that did start it. I don't want it to be awkward for them. It's, just, it's, it's easier for we all just jump in, right? Um, right after that, in Luke 13, Jesus, right after that, he, he turns to prayer. He starts praying for Jerusalem. And he starts saying, Jerusalem, you murder your prophets. You do You do so many things. I've tried to reach out. I've tried to show you compassion. He starts praying. And that's a model. When in doubt, follow Jesus. If you feel overwhelmed, you feel frustrated, you feel angry, you feel desperate, you feel uh, suffocated by the things going on around you, pray. Pray, pray continually. It's not just like a, a tokenized response. It's a powerful response. It It is effective. It is It is calibrating our heart, our mindset, our hopes, our our view with God and saying, God, we turn to you. You know, when we worry, we we have a conversation with ourselves about what we can't change. When we pray, we talk to God about what only He can change. Amen. It's a great phrase came up in one of our equip classes this past Tuesday night. And uh, I love that, you know, when Jesus is, he's our model, not only in his words, but in his actions, we follow him. Whenever you're in doubt about what to do or how to respond to pain and injustice, just follow Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and just say, just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Amen. I love a story that Jesus tells that really kind of captures his heart and uh, gives us wisdom on how to respond to pain and suffering. It's in Luke chapter 10. We all know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. But look at the preface to the story. Look at what led up to him telling this parable. Luke 10.25 says that one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So he's, he's not really, he's not intre- It's not an honest conversation. He's just trying to set Jesus up. He's just trying to prove how smart he is in trying to lure Jesus into a trap to discredit him. And he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses teach? What does it say? How, are you, how do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Notice that? You got the right answer. Now go and live it. It's not enough to just know what the right answer is. It's not enough to know the right verses. It's not enough to know the right theory. We actually need to walk it out. We need to live it out. We need to do it, and we will live. We will practice the life that God has given us. And the man wanted to justify his actions. This is you. This is me. Because we, we judge others by their actions, and then we justify ourselves by our intentions, right? And uh, he wanted to justify his actions and his inaction more so, right? So he's like, okay, Jesus, you know, you, you know, yeah, that's easy. Go do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But, and he got all philosophical. So what does that actually mean though? You know, who is my neighbor? And uh, and Jesus, he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. And uh, so, so I can make it really plain and clear to you. And that's when he goes into this parable. But before we move into the, the, the parable, notice that this teacher in the law, he's an expert at theory. He is very selective in his justice. He's very selective. He's like, okay, who is my neighbor? Who actually deserves the love that I give myself? Who, who should I give that to? It can't be just to everyone. So, you know, who actually merits it? Who deserves it? And then uh, he's very self-righteous. You know, that's how it starts. And Luke 10, he says that he's trying to justify himself. Let me give you a quick, quick tip, a pro tip in faith. If you justify yourself, you're not leaning on Jesus' justification. And Jesus is looking at you saying, I went to the cross so you didn't have to do this. But, you know, to each his own. You want to do it on your own? Then <laughs> it's never going to be enough. So the more I justify myself, the less I'm leaning on his righteousness, the more I'm trying to do it through my own efforts and merit, and the more I'm missing the point. And uh, this guy, he is he's self-righteous. He's self-justifying. He judges others and he justifies himself. And uh, and and Jesus says, you know what? I need to I need to help clarify something to you. And I'm going to do it in the form of a parable of a story. I love it. I love Jesus and his approach. Luke ten thirty and 32, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man laying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him laying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So he sets up this story. It's really unique because let's talk about the victim first. Would have been really easy to say there was this Gentile and uh, a non-Jew that was walking and they were going down and they got assaulted. And then the guy would have been, yeah, of course, they have it coming. They're not part of the chosen people. So, of course, they're going to get assaulted. Or there was a Samaritan that got beat up. It's great. That's a great story. Love it. Let's keep on going. But what he does, he does a different spin and he says there was this Jew that was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he got assaulted and he was beat up and he was left to die. And all of a sudden he he pulls the audience into a an attitude of empathy. They're like, well, what, what did he do? You know, how, how, why? How could that happen? You know, and we try to reconstruct it so that we can settle it in our minds. But we're not always going to know the full story. What we do know is he was suffering, he was almost dead and there was a need at hand. And then you got. The temple priest, not staff from Emmanuel, definitely. Let's just clarify that, right? We would never do this, right? Who you're like, okay, you know, your book most likely to respond well in a situation of need, right? And, uh, and then you got a team Emmanuel member. I mean, uh, a temple assistant. That's also, they have the same exact reaction. They see the guy over here. You ever look at something out of the corner of your eye and then pretend you didn't see it? I'm not going to ask you what, but they, they're like scan. Then they're right away. They're like, Oh, you know, this could be a trap. And then right away through their mind, they're like, okay, what if I go over, I might get assaulted. Maybe it's, maybe they're maybe they're lying. Maybe they're not, maybe they're dead. And they're thinking, if I go and I touch a corpse, then I'm defiled. I got to go into quarantine. That'd be inconvenient. I shouldn't do it. And then they're thinking, well, I wonder if maybe he deserved it. Maybe, you know, and so then what, what do they decide to do instead of going over to help? they take extra steps to go out of their way to stay on their own journey and their own path i'm too busy you know they completely miss the point and uh and i think one of the things that that we learn through their their bad choice is that they had the wrong focus the wrong lens they didn't have clarity on how to respond uh thus the optic store that we have set up on the platform today. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful to God that I inherited so many great qualities from my parents. And I'm so grateful to God that I didn't inherit their poor eyesight. And so um, I, I up to this day don't need glasses. Thank you, Jesus. I will need cheaters pretty soon. And you'll come and remind me of that, you know, but I have at times tried on someone else's glasses with like a pretty intense prescription have you ever done that where you're like hey, let me see those oh those look like pretty intense what are these binoculars you know and so uh, and have you ever tried on like the wrong prescription all of a sudden everything's like Ooh. and it's like you know even everything starts moving like slow motion it just you know you could get dizzy or you could get a headache if you if you got the wrong lens on you're not going to see clearly you're not going to be able to take good steps. You're not going to be able to respond right. And that's exactly what happened to the temple assistant and to the priest. They had the wrong lens on. They had the lens of pride. And the lens of pride, what that'll do is you'll think higher of yourself than you should, and you will diminish others. And you will, you will use comparison as a way of validating yourself. And if we walk around with the lens of pride, we're always going to judge people that are in a place of suffering and pain. And we're going to think that there's things that are beneath us and that we deserve better. And then uh, the lens of pride its just not it's it's not helpful. It's going to it's going to lead us into gossip. It's going to lead us into gawking. You know, people that slow down when there's an accident. Are they slowing down to help or are they just like vultures, like watering at the mouth? You know, so don't confuse curiosity with compassion. Right. And stop slowing down traffic unless you're going to help. Right. Get out and help. Just had to say that, but, um, which by the way, I love, I love one of the things I love about Minnesota is that willingness to help so many times. Um, uh, my wife has benefited from it so many times. Thus I have as well. The, uh, other lens that we don't want to adopt that we should always stay away from is selfishness, self-centeredness. Philippians two says that we need to arm ourselves of the mindset and the heart of Christ who did not seek Life for himself, but he gave so that he could bring hope and salvation to others. In the same way, we shouldn't be self-centered or selfish. If we're selfish, we're always going to be thinking about our own agenda, our own convenience, our own, uh, you know, how much is this going to cost me? How much is this effort? Is this going to, you know, and so we're always going to be measuring that way. I'm not saying give up healthy boundaries. I'm saying we need to follow Jesus. And in doing so, we will inevitably serve others more than we serve ourselves. Amen? Another bad lens, and this is kind of a Clark Kent moment, although not really. Fear. Fear. Fear can distort the way we see the world. Fear is one of the main things the enemy will use as leverage in our life. If he can lead us into panic, we will freeze up. We will doubt every promise from God. We will lose our way. We need to say, God, I don't want to walk through life with fear. In fact, perfect love casts out all fear, right? It doesn't say cast out most fear. It doesn't say cast out half your fears. It says cast out all fear. So a life of of fearfulness, of anxiety, is not the life that God's brought to us. And, uh, and, and, And we need to learn how to surrender that lens and say, God, I don't want to live that way. Another lens that we can easily fall into is the lens of anger. And uh, we can get irritated. We can get worked up. We can get upset with things that are happening around us. We talked about this a little bit last week. But if we, in our anger, sin, then we've missed the mark. We have lost our way. Now, there's a difference between an angry life and a righteous indignation, right? Jesus went to the temple. He's like, What's going on here? This is a distortion. This shouldn't be this way. This needs to be a house of prayer for all nations. And he got righteously angry. And, uh, and, and he did something about it. But there, there's a difference between that. If you have someone that quotes Jesus whipping the, the table vendors every single day to justify their own angry existence, beware, right? Uh, you, you know, what's behind all that anger? You need to surrender that lens and say, God... I, I I'm frustrated, I'm overwhelmed I'm, I'm, I'm worked up, but ultimately I need to turn it over to you. I need to ask you to take control. Take the wheel, Jesus, right? And then finally, the uh, lens of just of judgment on others. when we judge others, what we're doing is we are we are not only justifying ourselves, we're drawing conclusions, we are diminishing them. we are Um, We're we're giving life sentences. We take a snapshot moment and we say, oh, you're always going to be that. You're lost. You're a lost soul. You're a wreck. You know, and then and and how many know the story isn't over yet? Amen. Praise God. How many are grateful the story isn't over yet? Men, we need grace. We need God's help in our life. But how many know that we need to see others that same way as well? I love the "I'm under construction" T-shirt, but I hate to see it on others, right? Because then that means I need to be patient with them, and I be, need to be loving, and I need to be kind, and I need to choose and love mercy, you know, towards them. But uh, when we judge, what we do is we, we box people in, to, we 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 pigeonhole them, we we uh, you know we we live off our bias and our prejudice. We prejudge. We do a quick scan and we assign a label. And that's uh, not the way that God has taught us to live. In fact, it says in, uh, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.16, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We used to operate that way, but we have stopped. We no longer uh, judge and evaluate others and categorize them according to their background, their social economic status, their, their language that they speak, their ethnic background, their neighborhood that they live in, their political affiliation, their age—we don't we we take that off, and we choose to see people the way that Jesus has taught us to see people: fellow human beings. Right, every single person was a recipient of the love of Christ who gave his life for them on the cross. Every single person is an image of God bearer. And uh, we need to learn how to see people in the same light, amen? But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues with the story. Now, quick quick, uh, qualifier here. I'm not saying turn off... Uh, every filter in your life. I'm not saying stop, you know, stop discerning. No, because the Bible talks about discerning, examining, evaluating. But I think a good principle, rule of thumb is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, applied to prophecy, but I think by extension, it's a good uh, principle for life. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. Some people, they will test everything with the goal of discrediting, with the goal of diminishing, with the goal of rejecting. We test everything with the attitude of saying, I will hold on to what is good. I will spit out the bones, but not the, the meat. I will, you know, what is it? The baby in the bathwater? Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So it's test everything. It's like, oh, nasty water. And then you just toss the baby out too. That's not, it's not mature discernment, right? And so we need to learn how to discern and test everything with the goal of retaining to what is good, Right. Luke 10, Jesus goes on with this story. He says, then a despised Samaritan, some versions say a certain, it's a euphemism. He's like a certain Samaritan, you know, an unmentionable Samaritan. But right away, the, you know, the teacher lies like, oh yeah, I think she's a good part. You know, they're going to beat him up too. And so a uh, despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, notice the difference, contrast. He didn't avoid him. He went over him. Going over to him, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where they took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, "The one who showed him mercy, unmerited kindness and love." Then Jesus said, "Yes, now go and do the same." That Samaritan uh, represents someone who had been stereotyped, who was seen as unfit, who is an unexpected hero in this parable, but it was the one who best reflected Christ. He. Didn't just continue on his path. He went out of his way, got close enough to listen, got close enough to not only feel compassion, but to do something about it, got close enough to pick that man up, got close enough to carry him onward his donkey, got close enough to walk him to the end, soothe his wounds, restored him, led him to a place of safety, led him to a place of protection, a place of healing, and then covered the expense for that whole journey. It wasn't just a sporadic moment. It wasn't just like a, a knee-jerk response of, of, of mercy. Just, you know, it was like a commitment to say, I am going to see this through. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He left heaven. Came down close enough to see us. To find us in our misery, in our pain. To hear us. To pick us up. To say, you know what? I will spare no expense. I will carry you to a place of safety. I will carry you to a place of restoration. I will carry you to a place of hope. I will personally bandage your wounds. I will see it through. This is not just a moment. I am here to see this process through for you. Is that not what Jesus did for us? Now go and do the same. And the teacher of the law, he just left speeches because it's just, he's like, you know, I can't justify myself. I can't avoid it. I can't turn the channel. I can't, I can't, can't believe that a despised Samaritan actually reflected God's love and justice the best. As we're wrapping up today, I want to give you three actionable items, three things, three steps that you can do as you run across suffering and pain in the world around you. We can't control what happens globally. We can pray we are making a difference. We are like the Good Samaritan. We're taking steps to go. In fact, on Wednesday, we got two mission teams that are going to serve in Argentina, church plants and orphanages. And, and, then, and then we got one going to Honduras. And so we're actually taking steps to go in a tangible way. We're doing things in our city here. Church, we're, we're, we're committed for the long haul. That's what Kingdom Builders is all about. We continue to say, you know, we, we don't want to just be a sporadic moment in our journey. We are committed to leverage what we have to bring about hope, to bring about healing. True answers. I mean, we just, we're able to do that in Ukraine. We got so much more to do. But as you face needs in your immediate surroundings, who's your neighbor? Whatever human is by you, that's your neighbor. Three things that you can do in a world filled with pain and injustice. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's got to be the lens and the perspective that we have, the kingdoms of this earth will not fix the problems of this earth. The kingdoms of this earth will come and go. Ask Prophet Daniel about that. That's why Jesus, when he's speaking in his trial, he says in John 1836, "My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom." If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. We do not respond in the same way that the kingdoms of this world respond. Because we have a heavenly perspective. We're not disconnected from need. But our response is in tune with what God wants. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven gives us our cue for how we respond. Amen. Second, actionable step pray continually. Pray continually. I'm not saying posting about prayer. I'm not saying send out send prayer emojis. Those are great. They're in my most frequently used. You know, I can show you my phone. It's the thumbs up and then the prayer emoji. Those are like my top emojis, right? And then the laughing one with the tears out the sides, kind of the angled one. You know what I'm talking about, right? Prayer emojis don't count as prayer. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You actually need to pray. You actually need it. We need to pray. Don't post about prayer. Pray. Right? And that's, I mean, it's simple. When we feel angry, worked up, overwhelmed, anxious, we pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And final, final point, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love them through their suffering. Love them through their process. Love them through their stumblings. Love them through their failures. Love them through their, uh, when they irritate you, love them. Love your neighbor. Love how the parable should, you know, it should have been uh, the despised Samaritan should have been the title, right? But then it's moved to like the Samaritan, to the good Samaritan. I think we need to move it even a little further because we don't look at him through the lens of human labels. It should have been the good neighbor. And that's that's how we need to respond. We need to be good neighbors that love the people around us. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and I finish with this, says, since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Yes, it does say that in scripture. And forgive anyone who offends you. It also says that. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You know what God's prescription for us is? Do what's right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your Lord. Amen. Would you stand together with me and take a moment to pray and uh, just say, God, change my, my mindset, change my perspective change my response to the world around me father today we come before you humbly. there's so much pain in our world today there's so much that's happening God so much shaking but you said that everything that can be shaken will be shaken and God as we as we come before you God we, we just humbly say thank you for, for picking us up for bringing forgiveness and hope into our own story. Teach us, teach us to reflect that to the people around us. Teach us, God, to, to be mindful of the fact that you do not change. You will continue to save as you have for every generation. You will continue to save. You will continue to bring hope. And Lord, I ask that you would use us each this week to love the people that you put within our reach. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that you were encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out EmanuelCC.org to find faith community or additional resources or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We're excited to see what God is going to continue to do. The best is yet to come.